Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church, located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make him known. The gospel lesson for today is from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. This can be found printed in your bulletin. Today's reading describes Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem, where the crowd celebrates him as Messiah. However, Jesus enters with humility, riding on the back of a donkey. The reading from Matthew chapter 21, beginning with the first verse. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. As we go through life, we ask a lot of big questions. Where should I go to school? Who should I marry? Later, we ask, where should we retire? Sometimes our big questions are more scientific. We wonder, how did the universe begin? Or, did the dinosaurs have feathers? Maybe our questions are more existential, questions like, what's my purpose in life? Or, is there life after death? These are big questions. But there's a question that's asked in our scripture reading today that the more I think about, I realize it's the biggest question of all. It's the biggest question any of us will ever ask. And depending on how we answer it, if we answer it the way the Bible does, it will dictate, it will inform, it will influence everything else we face. Every other question we have, the answer will be informed by how we answer this question that's in today's scripture. Did you notice it? In verse 10, It says the whole city of Jerusalem, when they heard that Jesus was coming in, the city turned and they said, who is this? When I think about it, that's the biggest question of all. Who is Jesus? And if we answer it the way the Bible does, not only will we all individually have every other answer informed by it, We also will as a church. So I'm excited that we're studying this today. You might be wondering why we're looking at Palm Sunday in September. 
Well, we're going through the whole Bible in a three-year chronological study of the Bible. That just happens to be where we are. But I'm glad that we're studying it again today. We'll study it on Palm Sunday once again. We'll hear this story again. But I'm glad we're looking at it today. As we launch into a new school year, it's a good time for us to ask and answer this question, who is Jesus? So what's going on in this story, this Palm Sunday story, this triumphal entry story as it's sometimes called? Well, Jesus is making his entrance into Jerusalem for what would be his final week before he went to the cross and then walked out of the tomb. And as they're coming towards Jerusalem, he commands his disciples to get a donkey for him. That donkey is going to feature prominently in the story. We're going to look at the importance of it. But they're heading in and he commands his disciples to get this donkey to enter into Jerusalem on. We'll pick up the story in verse 4. Verse 4 says this, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. What's the prophet that the gospel is telling us about here? It's the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah prophesied about 500 years before Jesus. And by the time Jesus was around, people would have known Zechariah. They would have known his prophecies. They probably would have had them memorized. And they would have known that Zechariah wasn't just prophesying. He was prophesying about the coming Messiah the coming savior of Israel. And Jesus realizes this, and so he chooses this donkey to enter into Jerusalem on to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, this messianic prophecy. What did this prophet Zechariah say? Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. Behold your king. Say to the daughter of Zion. What does that mean, the daughter of Zion? I learned a little bit about this phrase the last time I was in Israel. We're coming into the city of Jerusalem. And if you can imagine, maybe you've seen a picture of Jerusalem. It's atop a a large hill. And in ancient Jerusalem, that main city on top of the hill would have been surrounded by a big stone wall. Can you picture it? But outside of that big stone wall, that protective barrier, there were lots of little villages that would surround Jerusalem. Those villages were called the Daughters of Jerusalem. And if you lived in one of those villages, you would have been particularly vulnerable to the attack of an approaching army because you were not inside the protection of the city walls. And so those are the Daughters of Jerusalem that that Zechariah called for, that Jesus is calling back toward. Behold, say to the Daughters of Jerusalem, they would have been particularly hopeful and interested in the line that comes next. Behold, your king is coming to you. They would have been particularly interested in a new king coming to Jerusalem because a new king might offer them protection from the approaching enemies that might be marching across the desert towards Jerusalem. Say to the daughters of Jerusalem, say to the daughters of Zion, behold, your king is coming. So who is Jesus? We're beginning to get an answer to the question. It says in here, he's a prophet, yes, but he's more than a prophet. Behold, your king is coming to you, O daughters of Zion. Now I have to be honest with you, I don't really know what it's like to need or to have a king. Like you, I live here in a democracy where we, we got rid of the king. So I don't really know what it's like to live under the sovereignty, the authority of a king. I use that word sovereignty. A king, especially in the ancient world, would have sovereignty over his domain. 
a king could turn to you and the king can say, I need you to come fight in the army and you're enlisted. You have no choice. You'd have to go. Or a king could come to you and he could say, I like your house and your land and your farm, but I'm going to need that now. Thank you. You're going to have to move. And you would have no rights. You'd have no agency over what the king commanded of you. I don't really know what that's like. But in the story today, Jesus is presented, yes, as a prophet, but more than a prophet, as a Messiah, a savior, and as a coming king with sovereignty, as it were, because that's what kings have. In fact, the rest of the New Testament would go on to describe just how much of a king Jesus was and is. He was more than just a king of Zion or of Jerusalem. Listen to what it says in 1 Timothy 6, verse 15. Jesus is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. Or in Ephesians 1, God the Father raised Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. He put all things under his feet. Who is Jesus? He's the king of Zion. He's the king of all creation. It's really cool that we're looking at this passage today when we're outdoors. Because according to the Bible, these trees, this lawn, this beautiful property are all under the kingship of Jesus. The whole created world, the whole created order, just in its very existence, praises and magnifies the king. I love how trees lift their hands towards their creator, towards their king. The Bible says that the trees of the field clap their hands in praise. When the oceans roar, they roar for God. They roar for their king, their creator. You and I have the same king according to the Bible. It's Jesus trees, the birds, the sky, all under King Jesus. Not only this world, but listen to what it says in Hebrews 1 verse 3. It says, Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. Wow. Who is Jesus? He's the king of Zion. He's the king of the whole world. He's the king of the universe. Isn't that amazing? Now, what's the appropriate response to a king? What's the appropriate response to a king? Well, obedience and praise, especially if this new king comes in with the promise of protecting and saving the daughters of Jerusalem, the most vulnerable among us. And this is exactly how the people respond. We continue the story in verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That phrase, son of David, speaks once again of his kingship. People would have known that David was the celebrated king of Israel. And here is the son of David. Kings weren't voted in. 
Kings were born into the royal family. And this declaration is saying, this is King Jesus, the son of David. He is our rightful king, the rightful heir to the throne. And so we celebrate these palm branches and these cloaks being put down on the ground. These are acts of adoration and worship and praise. And the word Hosanna simply means save us or save now. Come, King Jesus, and save Be our king. The appropriate response to a coming king is obedience and praise. So that's the appropriate response. But here's a question. Do we do that inherently? Do we do that instinctively? When a new authority comes into our lives, do we just say, I freely obey you and I praise you, my king? The answer, in case it's not obvious, is a resounding no. There's something in us. There's something inherent in us. There's something instinctive in us. When we see an authority placed over us, we want to reject it. We want to overthrow it. It started in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve had one authority. Their king was their creator, and he had one rule for them. And they realized the situation, and they said, you know what, we'd we'd rather be in charge. And ever since Adam and Eve, every generation that's born and rises up, they realize they have authority over them and they want to overthrow the authority. I live with two teenagers. I know with personal experience what this is like. And I was once one of them. There's nothing we love more than the idea of overthrowing our authority. It's one of the genius designs of our democracy. Here in the United States, every four years, we get to scratch that itch and overthrow the authority if we want to. And yet Jesus is presented in the Bible as the sovereign king who can't be voted out because he's the king of all creation. Why is it that we reject authority? Let me just put this in practical terms to give you an example. I might even say as a Christian, I might say, Jesus is my king. He's the king of my life. Jesus, I surrender all to you except, of course, my 401k. I'll manage that. Thank you. But you're sovereign over everything else, except also where my kids go to college. I'll manage that. But you're sovereign over everything, Lord, except my 401k and where my kids go to college and, well, you can fill in the blank. We like to be in control, don't we? We inherently, instinctively reject authority. That's one reason. You know, I was thinking even as a preacher, it's my vocation, obviously. It's my role here at the church to to preach. And we think about that phrase, Jesus is Lord and Savior. He's Lord and Savior. Lord is just another way of describing his kingship, his authority, his sovereignty over our lives. As a preacher, it's easier for me to stand here and talk about Jesus being the Savior. Because when Jesus is the Savior, he's done something for us. It's harder for me to say he's the Lord, he's our King, because as our King, we might have to do something for him. And that's a harder challenge. He's Lord, he's King, and Savior, but there's something in us that rejects authority. There's something in us that says, I don't want to surrender all. Why is that? 
Well, maybe it's because we've never met a king quite like Jesus. We've only ever known human authorities. We've only ever known fallen, sinful authorities. And if we know anything about ourselves, we know something about them. And so we have a hard time trusting authority. But King Jesus is not like any other human authority. He's not like any human king who's ever lived. Because he is truly and thoroughly and entirely good. He is a good king. Yes, he's our savior. He's done something for us. He's died in our place on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. But as it said in the scripture I read a moment ago, he's now seated at the right hand of the Father where he reigns over all things. We can trust him because he's Lord and Savior. We've never quite met a man, a leader, a king like this. If you're paying close attention to the scripture reading, you realize I skipped part of verse five because I want to circle back on it now to describe just how good, just how different our king is. Verse five, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. That's an interesting phrase, beast of burden. Jesus, King Jesus, he could have rode into Jerusalem on a war horse, but he came in on a humble beast of burden. What's that telling us about our king? He's humble, as it says. But that beast of burden is telling us about the man who was riding him, Jesus himself, just a few days later, after he entered into Jerusalem, would be treated like a beast. He would be flogged. He would be beaten. He would be sacrificed. And he was treated like a beast, and he carried a burden, the burden of all of our sins, the weight of the consequences of all of our sins was laid upon him. He truly became the beast of burden. Imagine this, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the name that is above every name, the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power, who deserves to be seated upon his throne in majesty and in glory, came into our earth and was treated like a beast of burden. It almost makes me weep. I don't know about you, but when I hear that phrase, beast of burden, I think of the Rolling Stones song. Am I alone? Does anyone else think of that? I'll never be your beast of burden. I was thinking about that. You could sing it better for Gina. I should have brought you up. That, That song's been running in my head all week as I've been meditating on Jesus, our beast of burden, because that lyric is so true of the human heart, isn't it? He says, I'll never be your beast of burden. That's what the sinful, selfish human heart who prefers to be in control, who prefers to always have things our way, we say to ourselves and to the world, I'm not going to sacrifice for anyone. I got to look out for number one. And then Jesus looks around at the whole world and he sees all of us with that declaration, that selfish declaration. He sees all of us wanting to be our own kings and queens of our own domain. And he says, you know what? I'll have to do for them what they cannot do for themselves. And Jesus, the King of Kings, entered into our world and he became the sacrificial, 
beast of burden for us. He said, I will be your beast of burden. And that's what a good and humble king does. That's why we can trust him. That's why we can say, Lord, I surrender all. I will obey you. I will praise you. Not just because you're my authority, but because you've proven by your character and by your actions that you are good and that you are trustworthy. Jesus Christ, who is this man? Church, he's our savior. We, I preach it every Sunday. He saved us. He did something for us by dying in our place, but he's also our Lord. He's our king. And we follow him, we obey him, we worship him, and we say, king, command us. Who is this? Jesus Christ. He's our Lord, our king, and our savior. To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit stanwichchurch.org.